Welcome back to the program. Who hasn't had the experience of hearing a familiar and likable piece of music from our youth and being transported? That the music somehow short-circuits time and makes yesterday's events today's reality. It's as if the song triggers some primal change within us that allows us to transcend both space and time. Now imagine that it's more than just our fond memory. Imagine that the music had actually become part of us, of our DNA. That notion is a small part of the brilliant blending of science, art, and literature in Richard Powers' new novel, Orfeo. Richard Powers is the author of 11 previous novels. He's been awarded the MacArthur Fellowship, two Pushcart Prizes, and the National Book Award. It is my pleasure to welcome Richard Powers to the program to talk about his newest work, Orfeo. Richard, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Delight to have you here. Talk first a little bit about your thoughts with respect to the power of music, because it does have, I mean, it plays with our mind in such interesting ways. It has this unique power to transport us in so many ways. It absolutely does, and that's why I keep coming back to it again and again as a novelist. This is my my third book devoted to music, musicians, the world of making and listening to music. I uh, I call it in a previous book the language of the central nervous system. There's some inexplicable way in which sounds, a beautiful melody, a stirring harmonic progression are just like mainlining raw emotions without... Uh, without the worry of uh, of what it means. And as you've looked at that from a scientific perspective, talk a little bit about what you've found, what you've discovered about why that works that way. Well, there are a lot of ideas, and uh, none are fully persuasive to me. Uh, there's, uh, of course, the, the uh, analogies in the animal kingdom about mate selection, a good singer, shows signs of health and creativity and uh, vitality that uh, might cause for some selective advantage. But it's, it, 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 I believe it remains mysterious in a way that, say, our evolved capacity to love stories uh, isn't. You know, it's, it's, it's clear why we would uh, want this ability to imagine ourselves into the lives of other people and why, as social creatures, that might be very, very handy. But why, how it is that we can learn to hear, say, in the opening phrases of, of uh, Mahler's Kindertotenlieder, deep grief, and love that grief, that's, that's inexplicable. And your main character, Peter Ells in Orfeo, takes this one step further and really tries to create the essence of music inside bacteria, inside DNA. Talk about that. That's right. The, the book is a, a, a basically a, an artist's biography. Uh, Else is uh, born in 1941 when the story unfolds. He's a 70-year-old uh, composer who's looking back on a life searching for powerful patterns and uh, he, reviewing the choices that he's made as, a, as an artist and as a musician and wondering if he's perhaps... Uh, aligned himself with the wrong side. Uh, he has to make this choice as a young man growing up and coming of age and studying music in the 60s between the music of comfort and familiarity and reassurance and the music of uh, adventure, danger, uh, unprecedented sound, the kind of music that the ear doesn't know how to hear yet. 
and he aligns himself with that avant-garde impulse, the, the impulse to, to make a kind of art that's, uh, that's perhaps disturbing, unsettling, um, unhearable yet. And uh, after spending several decades in the pursuit of, of, uh, of an art uh, that might be figuratively, aesthetically dangerous, uh, he decides by small degrees and uh, perhaps uh, uh, mistakenly uh, that his his last hurrah of, uh, as a composer of challenging music that nobody hears would be to create a sequence of music uh, encoded into nucleotides and uh, find a way of inserting it into a bacterial cell and having it taken up so that this music would spread throughout the world, be every everywhere, uh, uh, but uh, have this infinitely large audience uh, unable to hear what he's made. It's his kind of final concept piece and, and uh, farewell to the avant-garde. But uh, fortunately, before he can get very far, uh, this project comes to the attention of Homeland Security, uh, who seem to think that uh, perhaps this is a slightly more dangerous art uh, than uh, the, the country might want. Because it's perceived as kind of a genetic engineering experiment. He's taking his two passions of chemistry and music and combining them in a way that appears dangerous, I suppose. That's right. The story um, is inspired by the 2004 real, real-life story of uh, Steve Kurtz, who was a performance artist and bio-artist uh, at the University of Buffalo. And... Kurtz worked worked with biological materials and would do uh, installations and museum exhibitions uh, when his lab came to the attention of the FBI not long after the 9-11 attacks. Uh, he was arrested, and while uh, he should have been able to, uh, to make the case uh, for his innocence in a couple of hours, it actually took four years before he was entirely cleared. And I just took that piece, that sort of Faust story and uh, combined it with another kind of Orfeo story and turned the artist into a composer, made the artistic uh, pr- project of, of uh, in- encoding an MP3, if you, if you will, directly into a living organism, uh, a little more ambiguous, and uh, <clears throat> put this man on the run from uh, uh, a country that's still very much... Uh, uh, in a culture of fear. Talk a little bit about that aspect of the story, the, uh, him on the run, because th- his observations in that regard, as somebody that is so alien to what you would expect to be someone on the run, make yeah. it particularly profound. Yeah, he he is is a, uh, one of these uh, ingenuous artists who's uh, been um, obscure most of his life. When he has had his music performed, there's generally been more people up on stage than in the audience. And uh, he doesn't have the, the, the greatest degree of social sense. On the other hand, he sees himself as a, as a part of a, a do-it-yourself uh, biology uh, hobbyist movement that's actually pretty pervasive. I mean, there are hundreds if not thousands of people doing similar things around the country. He knows he's broken no laws. Uh, when the when the FBI does come knocking on his door, he and and they they raid his house. His idea is they'll be able to determine in a couple of days that uh, he's working with nothing particularly hazardous. He's breaking no rules, and uh, rather than spend uh, 
a week uh, in, in prison, he'll just wait for the dust to settle. Well, the dust never settles. Why doesn't the dust not settle for him? Why can't he explain clearly what it is that he was trying to do? Well, uh, in part because we are uh, a nation still extremely on edge, and uh, uh, recent disclosures uh, since I published the book have indicated that uh, surveillance and observation and anti-terror activities spread far farther than I ever imagined and farther than most of us imagined. And this pursuit of a safety that I think we'll never feel, we'll, we'll never have entirely again, uh, has really become a kind of obsession. And there, you know, there, there may be good reasons for that. The, the, the fear may be entirely oversold. There may be reasons, there may be ways in which uh, fear is actually a kind of uh, social stabilization. But uh, the, the, the upshot is people don't understand biology, and they're far, uh, they're, they're, they're far quicker to become afraid of something like this than, uh, uh, than of a, a much more reasonable fear. You know, the, uh, the, the odds of, uh, of being harmed in a movie theater, for instance, uh, as we've seen uh, right. in recent days, uh, are probably far greater than anything that uh, than any of these do-it-yourself uh, biologists are going to inflict. But does he understand, as a scientist, how dangerous some of this science can be in the wrong hands? As somebody that is capable of scientific imagination, does he think about that in the wrong hands and understand where that fear comes from? Well, I think that's an interesting question, and that's part of the tension of the novel, that these technologies do exist, and uh, uh, the individual uh, intent on... on causing fear uh, w- w- would be very capable of, of finding ways of doing that. Uh, uh, you can obtain all kinds of things on the Internet now, and uh, uh, there, there are labs uh, w- willing to do a lot of the heavy lifting, uh, so it doesn't require deep uh, technical expertise on the part of individuals to, to, um, to, to become active participants in in. Uh, genetic modification. However, I think what what isn't entirely clear, I think, to to the broad public is that uh, there are a lot easier ways to hurt people than to do it through genetic modification and and, and trying to create uh, uh, new toxins. I mean, it's you know it just doesn't make any sense. In a way, he's a he's a victim of of fear of science as well. Uh-huh. How much of it is just a general fear that, that people have about science and really about imagination because they bring more limited skills and limited abilities to the table? Well, that's, that is the, the heart and soul of the novel. Uh-huh. Um, the fear of the different, the fear of the misunderstood, the unknown, and how that can, that can bleed out of... Uh, you know the fear of the kind of culture of of uh, the strange that uh, that Peter else aligns himself with as a young man. How easily that can bleed into the the fear of all kinds of unknowns, and especially the the, the great changes, uh, the, the the incredibly rapid changes that it have come at us from all directions in the in the sciences. I mean, we we are talking about a country where. You know, by some counts, 
uh, anywhere from two-fifths to half of the public don't believe in evolution. Mm. And when when you're starting with that degree of distrust of science, you know, we, we don't even have to get into, you know, the the, the public attitude in some quarters to uh, the proclamation of climate change. When there's when we're starting with a culture that's that suspicious of science and that suspicious of uh, cultural experimentation uh, and uh, uh, the the unfamiliar, uh, it's a volatile mix. Part of what makes it, I suppose, more volatile is that the extremes are so extreme that on the one hand, you have such a large number of people who are so afraid in the ways that you're talking about. But on the other hand, technology and modern science creates infinite possibilities for the imagination and for science to explore new things. Well, that's absolutely true. To some extent, uh, a degree of healthy fear of technology and science, I mean, a degree of fear about uh, technology and science is healthy because uh, we're vastly increasing uh, at an accelerating rate, our ability to 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 modify matter and to and to um, get control over um, you know, the, the and, and leverage uh, um, the, the physical world and the and the biological world. So yeah, it's not uh, it's not crazy to you know, um, to, to to feel like uh, um, there are scary potentials uh, being unleashed because there are. Richard Powers, his new novel is Orfeo. It's just out from W.W. Norton. Richard, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. It was a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.